Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another podcast with the Free Speech Union. It seems in the first two weeks that Parliament has been back and sitting. Some real bangers have been going through Parliament. We've seen a lot of uh, contentious uh, uh, legislation brought forward. And today we're going to be discussing the Conversion Practices Prohibition Legislation Bill with uh, the Honourable Paul Goldsmith, the uh, Justice Spokesperson for the National Party, and Nicole McKee from the ACT Party. It's great to have both of you with us here today. I wonder if we can uh, start off with you, Paul. Um, Can you just uh, provide a summary of what this bill intends on doing and kind of where the contention has arisen in your view? Uh, You know, this has been an incredible process that Parliament has gone through with over 100,000 submissions made on this piece of legislation. It's really captured the attention of the Kiwi public. Why is that? Well, it it is uh, seeking to do um, quite uh, an unusual thing in the sense of uh, stopping a practice which has uh, uh, conversion practices. Uh, people typically think in the in the sense of uh, gay uh, people being uh, going through some sort of process to uh, uh, change their sexual orientation. Uh, and uh, there's been widespread concern uh, for a, a number of years about uh, the negative effects of that, uh, particularly if there's a coercive element to it. Uh, and so this legislation has been introduced to uh, ban that practice. Uh, now, uh, I suppose where it gets interesting is though, while um, you know there's a widespread agreement that it's not a good practice, uh, the question is, well, what, how is it defined, and what does the bill that's introduced mm, actually mm. do? Interesting. Uh, and that's where that's where there's been a bit of debate uh, because how you define a conversion practice uh, is is it is it does it include a prayer? Uh, does it include uh, or what? What does or doesn't it include? Uh, that that's where it's become interesting, and where I had some uh, serious concerns, uh, and we can talk through those um, as you like. Absolutely. So yeah, this is this is an issue that has um, received a lot of attention, and 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 a lot of uh, disagreement has emerged. You know, for for our listeners, uh, it, it's worth noting that a hundred thousand submissions at the select committee process is totally unprecedented. The second most controversial piece of legislation that you know that received the the second largest number of submissions was the end of life choice bill, and I think that was around thirty eight thousand, so almost three times the number. It's it's really quite unprecedented. We've got Ginny Anderson uh, joining us as well, who was the who is the chairperson of the Justice Select Committee. Now, Ginny, you're out and about, uh, busy as always, uh, so uh, your connection is a little bit um, uh, glitchy. But if you can hear us, I wonder um, what was your experience like trying to shepherd this bill through the Justice Select Committee and and the the interaction that you had with submitters. Uh, hopefully, that's not too bad. Can you there hear me? There we are, okay? loud and clear. Uh, look, it's, it was a fascinating process, to be honest, to have such a high level of engagement from the general public, um, I thought was great in terms of democracy, to have so many people wanting um, to have their views heard. Mm. Um, and, and I'd have to say, look, there was really good cooperation from both ACT and um national in terms of committing to hear every single submitter who wished to be heard and mm. and we worked together collaboratively to do that you know in terms of uh free speech this is a remarkable success in many ways in that exactly as you said that the select committee went through a lot of work in order to make sure that everyone who wanted to have their say had that opportunity um 
you know, this was a very contentious uh, bill, though, as well. And, and there was perhaps um, a lot of misunderstanding around the scope of the bill. What were your thoughts on how much Kiwis really understood of what this legislation was attempting to achieve? Definitely felt there was a level of, of misinformation circulating sources. But when they in and talked through some of the issues, I actually found that that was a good way of I guess, drilling down to what the key issues are. Mm. And if there are issues around free speech or if there are issues concerned for parents being able to talk to their children, then we should be able to talk about that. And I think that's an important part of free speech. There will be debate and there is discussion. And to be able to have that in an open, free and informed way is critical to our democracy. And so, Nicole, you you raised a number of those uh, concerns on behalf of the ACT caucus. You you were concerned that parents' rights were being uh, potentially limited. And, you know, it's worth noting that Crown advice, uh, Crown law advice to the select committee did note that there there could be significant limitations on freedom of expression or parental rights. And and they said even potentially uh, religious freedom rights. What were your concerns uh, with this piece of legislation when you first started interacting with it? And what were some of the uh, steps that you took to address those concerns. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for, for having us on today. L- look, we did hear from over 4,000 submitters and uh, those that had concerns didn't actually have concerns about conversion therapy being banned. They had concerns about their own rights as parents or mm-hmm. as religious practitioners and whether or not what they do daily would be compromised and when the as the bill went through it was advocated that it wouldn't compromise their position at all but when you looked at as you mentioned the the RIS that came out before they said that there would be a potential for that to occur but I think that we uh, worked really really hard as a select committee to be able to Uh, you know, accommodate some of those concerns. And I'm really happy with the way that our Deputy Leader, Brooke Van Belden, delivered the third reading speech on my behalf because she pointed out some of those concerns had been allayed by the Minister's comments through the Committee of the Whole. And those concerns were basically about parents uh, worried that conversations that they were going to have with their children could be compromised in their ability to deliver that. And of course, those religious practitioners just wanting to pray with a person, not pray the gay away, uh, but just be able to pray and give them some religious guidance. And we look at our Bill of Rights. We look at the United Nations Declaration as well that says that we should be able to have those opportunities to express mm-hmm. ourselves as parents and religious. But those two uh, Bill of Rights and the Declaration also says that people should not be harmed. So we had to find that balance. And I think we were able to do the best that we could. And I tried to implement a couple of uh, supplementary order papers, one where we would explicitly uh, ensure that conversations and only conversations between parents and children would be excluded or exempted uh, from prosecution, but also that there would be a review. Now, both of those were turned down, but there were assurances from the minister that those conversations would be protected under this legislation. Mm. And we think that that's really important and highlighted that. And as for the review, it's disappointing, but any government can go back and actually review a piece of legislation if they find errors. So overall, we think protecting those rights of 
this particular group, the LGBTQI plus group, they also have rights under the Bill of Rights and mm-hmm. United Declarations, United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. And so we thought that uh, we would support because they too are entitled to that protection. Of, of, of course. And, and, and Paul, I want to draw you in here in a second uh, just to comment on some of the amendments that the National Party also proposed with some of those similar concerns in mind. But just to press you on that slightly, Nicole, I, I find it interesting that, that given all the concern that the ACT Party raised uh, throughout the entire process at each of the readings, uh, do you think it's proportionate that simply the comments by the Minister of Justice were enough to allay those concerns? Really, the, the legislation as it stood from its introduction through to when it was passed was relatively unchanged. The Select Committee made some minor changes but but they weren't significant in terms of the concerns that you raised, and so really it was only the comments that the Minister of Justice made that 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 changed your minds. Is that really sufficient when we're talking about legislation that is on the books that will be that will receive royal uh, assent shortly? Is that enough to really assure us that those concerns that you raised won't occur? Look, I believe so. If it gets to a point where parents are prosecuted for having a conversation with their children. First of all, it's got to meet the measure of going through the Attorney General to approve that prosecution to go ahead. And at any stage, a judge can go through, and they often do, look at the Hansard readings to get an understanding of what Parliament's intent Mm -hmm. is on a piece of legislation, if indeed they don't understand it themselves. So that's why I think it was so important that the Minister's comments that were made were reproduced by us in the third reading speech, so that any judge looking at that could see the intention directly from the minister's own mouth, so to speak. Now, now, Paul, you voted uh, against the bill at the first reading, but then supported it uh, going through the rest of the process in Parliament. Uh, you had issues with the drafting of the bill at the beginning, and so that's why you voted against it. But but then nothing really changed, and yet you started voting for it. Was it, was it because of Minister Farfoy's comments, uh, like for the ACT Party, that, that you were able to get behind it? Or, or what was your motivation, seeing as none of the amendments that you proposed actually were voted for? Uh, well, uh, the National Party um, at the first reading uh, decided to vote as a party against it uh, for, for a host of reasons, uh, including the concerns which I'll outline. Uh, subsequent to that, uh, we obviously had a change of uh, leader. Chris Luxon became leader. Uh, we had another discussion uh, around it and decided to treat it as a conscience vote. And so uh, National Party MPs were free to vote either way according to their uh, conscience. Uh, I continued uh, to vote for it, but as um, the Justice spokesman took a particular interest in it and put forward three SOPs uh, at the committee stage to try and really just clarify because the issue I had three concerns first one was that uh, um, that no free speech should be inhibited in the sense that opinions the statement of any opinion related to uh, uh, the, these topics should not be captured by the bill and, and we're, we're getting plenty of advice from officials saying no no it won't and so my simple solution was to say uh, uh, the, the the bill as it was amended included some examples of things that were conversion practices. Because you know it is a real issue with the bill is it's a very broad definition. Mm. The definition is a conversion practice means a practice, a sustained effort or treatment that is directed towards an individual because of their orientation, gender identity or gender expression, and done with the intention of changing or suppressing that. Now that's what does that mean? Uh, um, and so, uh, in the context of <laughs> um, a gender identity. 
reality transition. Uh, a parent confronted with a 13-year-old saying, um, I might have been bored female, but I'm not, I'm a male, and I want to uh, uh, start uh, what could be life-changing medical interventions. Uh, that's when it becomes quite interesting. And what does, what does uh, a sustained effort uh, to suppress someone's gender identity mean, and how broad does that go? Uh, and so the, one of there were two questions that flowed from that, which you know I, were were of considerable concern to me. One was, uh, would uh, would this bill in any way restrict or inhibit important discussions between medical professionals and young people before medical interventions took place? Uh, I.e., uh, you know, the most fundamental question that should always be asked before significant decisions are made: uh, Do you really want to do this? Mm. And it shouldn't be a five-minute discussion. Uh, it should be a, a rigorous, uh, frank, and open discussion. Uh, and so we were very keen to ensure that that wasn't uh, captured by this bill. And again, we had assurances from officials that it wouldn't be. Uh, but my SOP was uh, basically putting that as an example of something that wouldn't be captured by this bill actually in the bill. I'm disappointed that the government uh, members didn't support it. Uh, but the minister uh, uh, did state that uh, quite clearly it was unnecessary because uh, his firm uh, advice and opinion was that they wouldn't be captured. Uh, the third area was around parents uh, uh, having um, not giving consent to medical interventions on gender transition as well. I wanted to be sure that uh, you know the the act of omission of not giving consent for something was not regarded as mm. uh, um, uh, you know a sustained effort to suppress uh, something in in the description of the bill. And again, the advice was no, an act of omission is not uh, something that would be captured by this bill. Uh, and parents uh, do have the uh, right not to uh, approve of uh, um, and and uh, give permission for. Uh, very significant life-changing uh, medical interventions uh, for children. Uh, and so with those reassurances, I, 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 I personally was prepared uh, to uh, support it. There were some members of our caucus who weren't. Now, now yeah. Ginny, which, can I just? Yeah, can I, I was, oh, was going to draw you in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, representing uh, the Labour Party and so the party in Parliament that has the largest number of votes, you have a majority there. Really, in many ways, the the view of the party is what carries the House at the moment. What did you disagree with in in uh, in Paul Goldsmith's uh, amendments? Well, I think um, I, I tend to agree with a lot of the points that Paul has raised. Um, and I think that the real strength of our committee was that we really engaged with those tougher issues. And some of the changes made by the committee, I think, um, clarified the bill and drilled down to that detail that people were wanting to see. And specifically, I think... Um, Giving those examples, so using shame or coercion with the intention of giving a person an aversion to same-sex attractions or to encourage gender-conforming behaviour. So really giving specific examples. The other mm. one was encouraging a person to believe that their sexual orientation, gender identity or gender expression needs changing because it is defect or disorder or broken. So they were the specific examples embedded into the legislation that really got across that point that you need to try and change or um, fix someone's identity by saying it's broken or incomplete. So I think that that really spoke to some of the issues raised between the parent and child. So in terms of 
saying you don't uh, agree with someone being gay or that you want to say a prayer for them for the fact that they don't like them being gay, being really explicit that those sorts of things quite simply are not included. So um, the other main point I'd like to make before getting back to um, the, the SOPs is that, that the underpinning principles, you know, the legislative purposes of the bill are twofold. The first is to do no harm or to prevent harm. And the second being to cut to encourage open, free, frank conversations in and around sexuality. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the antithesis of what some of those criticisms were. It's, it's opening things up for more debate. So I guess where the Labour Party got to was by putting forward those clarifications of what explicitly was considered to be a conversion practice. And by really emphasising the underpinning legislative principles of the bill, we felt that that fully address some of the concerns in and around that freedom between a parent and a child to have an open conversation. Yeah, and that, that's that's interesting that you say, despite uh, the narrative that perhaps some would hold, uh, in, in ways this legislation can actually promote discussion, which is exactly as the Free Speech Union, what we are constantly trying to uh, put forward, that there is power in dialogue and conversation, and hopefully that is what has been enabled here. But I, I kind of want to question that a little bit. And Nicole, maybe I'll, I'll draw you in here on this. I, I reached out to a number of members of parliament who opposed this bill at either the second or third reading to come and discuss their concerns with us today, but none of them were willing to join us because they have faced an incredible backlash uh, for opposing the legislation. These are MPs who have opposed legislation in the past and, and taken, I guess, arguably unpopular stance, but apparently this response was especially vitriolic. And, and Nicole, in your mind, what do you think has caused this kind of aggression that would that would see the MPs that at the third reading, there were eight MPs who voted against the legislation. They have been castigated by the public in a particularly unique way. Why is this issue so uh, vitriolic? And, and what about their opposition do you think caused that kind of backlash? That's a really interesting question because while we all talk about everyone having that right to freedom of expression and freedom of speech and and freedom to make up their own minds, those eight MPs also have that ability to do that. And it's really sad to hear that they've been attacked in some way. Why they have gone against the legislation, again, Jonathan, like you said, it's got that reasoning has to come from them but it may have to do with their own upbringing and their background and their concern about their religious principles being impeded upon and I get that and I understand that from our point of view we had to also ensure that the LGBTQI community are also protected and that they have access to the same rights that we do so when you hear that some of the MPs are being attacked for some of their uh, their thinking or for not voting in favour. I, I ask those people to actually take a step back and allow those MPs to have their own ability to make up their mind based on their own facts and the way that they see it. I think what's really, really important and has possibly been missed out is that with those submissions that we heard, the 4,000 people that came in that we spoke to and the organisations that stood up for, for the bill and those that stood against the bill, all of them agreed that conversion practices mm, mm, can mm. be harmful and that they don't want to see it 
continuing, but they just disagreed with some of those uh, more onerous aspects of the bill about religion and parenting. And some, perhaps some of those MPs felt very strongly about that, either the religion or the parenting, but that's their right to mm-hmm. do so. And, and I think that in order for everyone to have respect, we should sort of understand that everyone actually has those rights and we don't want to be taking them away from those that oppose as well. They have that right to be able to do that. And it's disappointing they've been attacked for doing so. Mm, absolutely. And, and and that constantly comes back to the point that we reiterate consistently that this is about speech it's about dialogue but once it transcends into action you know i don't i don't know of anyone who could possibly defend um violence or or outdated kind of uh, so-called treatments that that really are just plain harmful and, and barbaric jenny i want to i want to just uh, perhaps wrap up here by by putting a question to to both you and and we'll get paul's opinion on it as well you know th- this um com- uh, this uh, legislation has been um commonly known as the gay conversion bill but it's not just about um, sexual orientation, but also gender identity. And so for a number of people, um, they, they view with interest the uh, steps that this legislation takes towards confirming perspectives around uh, gender mutability or immutability. Is gender immutability uh, an indisputable fact now, according to this piece of legislation? You know, that, that, that's an issue that a lot of people have very strong uh, opinions on, you know, both you know, potentially within a more traditional community, like a religious community. But even a lot of scientists go, actually, um, the immutability of gender is is still something that we really have to consider. Does this legislation take a stand on that and actually go, no, in New Zealand, we stand by the fact that um, a a woman who identifies as a man is a man and, and must be recognized by that? Well, I don't, I don't think the bill does that. I think there's other work that's going on under health and other um, pieces of legislation that touch on those issues. But this bill is primarily primarily about someone trying to change what someone is, whether that's their gender expression, gender identity or sexuality. That's what this is about. So I think it's important not to conflate issues in this space. So it, it prohibits a, um, another person trying to coercively change what someone's identity is. Um, and I think it's important to to not um, get into other areas that are further on from that. I mean, that that's when when I get um, I, I just go to one class. I had a, had a constituent who came to me incredibly angry that he felt he could not have a, a conversation with his child or his grandchild because he would be criminalised. And when when I explained to him exactly what the bill did um, and what it ma- what it prohibited, his response was. Well, who would do that to a child? Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that kind of that's the point, it because, isn't it? Because that's the point. Like, who would do that to a child? Who would who would do such harm? And so, this bill is always about balance, getting that balance right between um, protecting people's rights and freedoms and preventing harm to individuals in our community. And I feel that the whole committee worked really hard to get this balance right. And I think that's why we had such a large number of MPs across the House supporting the bill. Mm -hmm. Paul, I wonder if I can just draw you in for the the final comments there. In terms of uh, the immutability of gender, um, do you think that this legislation will promote an ongoing conversation in that space? Do Do you think it's operating as a new precedent or do you think we've gone here before and it's really not actually commenting uh, in that subject very much. 
well, well, it certainly does, uh, to a degree, uh, extend the conversation. And that's uh, one of the reasons why uh, many of us have been uh, anxious about how it uh, is uh, how things are defined and how the conversation extends. There's no question as a country, we need to be continuing to talk about uh, the issue and, and how it's dealt with in the court because it has enormous ramifications for a whole host of areas. If uh, you accept the principle that somebody's gender is whatever they uh, say it is, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there's a long way before we get to that position, and I don't think we should, uh, but that's a discussion that we should have in a proper structured way. Uh, and one of the sort of concerns about this bill was that it introduced the concept uh, with very little clear definition of what is actually meant uh, by gender identity. Uh, and so uh, it, it's part of uh, the wider sort of general concern around the actual drafting of the bill. And uh, look, I mean, the, the broader issue, of course, is that um, uh, there's always a big gap between what uh, um, politicians say they want to achieve and what their purpose is and what uh, a piece of legislation actually does. Uh, and then um, my, my sort of rule of thumb in politics is about half the things, uh, the, lo- the laws that are passed in Parliament achieve the exact opposite of what they set out to achieve, uh, <laughs> primarily because uh, MPs, uh, politicians and, and, and policy people uh, always uh, fail to anticipate how human behaviour uh, adapts and reacts, mm. uh, which was my concern around this bill generally, is is, is a sense that, and we've just seen a, a, a similar situation with the credit contact rules uh, in, in relation to access to finance and banking, it, it is, is if you pass a law that says you will go to jail if you do X, Y, Z, uh, then the natural human reaction is to be conservative and say, well, heck, I don't want to go to jail, I'll, I'll pull back uh, and I'll be very careful in, in my decision making. And there's now, self-censorship bank- that comes through there, isn't there? Yes. So if it's banks lending money, they'll be ultra cautious. Uh, and when it comes to conversations uh, in this area, people don't, you know, the average person doesn't read the legislation. They, they just hit, pick up some things. Uh, and if the net result of that is people hang back and don't ask those questions, such as, you know, do you really want to do this before you have a life changing medical mm-hmm. intervention? Then that becomes the issue. And that's why it is so important. I, I believe uh, that we had more clarity around that. So, you know, uh, am I. 100% happy with this legislation? That's, no, no, I'm not. Uh, but I, I'm, I've had sufficient um, reassurance from the minister so that I'm prepared to to support it. But you know, this is definitely something we need to uh, continue to monitor and see how the courts uh, system uh, how it plays out and ensure that we are willing to come back to the issue if if, if uh, this is one of the cases where the outcome of the legislation uh, is different to what is intended. Mm-hmm. Well, well, this conversation today is doing exactly that. It's providing clarity for, for our listeners and, and trying to unpack really what some of these implications will be and what the purpose of the legislation is. So thank you very much uh, for each taking part in this conversation. I know that uh, two of you at least are out and about traveling around your electorates um, doing the good work that MPs do. So I'll let you get back to that. Thank you so much, uh, Paul Goldsmith, Nicole McKee and Jenny Anderson for joining us for this conversation today. Thanks Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Ka kite anō.